only sports personality you can truly believe. This is Primetime Sports with Bob McCowan on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hour number three of the program for this Monday, the 14th of April, 2014. It's primetime on the Sportsnet Radio and Television Networks. McCown and Brunt. Nick Kiprios is in the house. John Paul Morosi of Fox Sports will join us in a little bit. Some news from the Blue Jays to address with um, Mr. Morosi a little bit later on. Today was a day of, uh, well, with a story probably should have been and still is to a great extent the hiring of Brendan Shanahan as president and alternate governor of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. It's also an interesting day in that Tim Lewicki comes on this program and um, for all intents and purposes acknowledges that he's here for a good time but not necessarily a long time. Um, I know you didn't get a chance to hear Mr. Lewicki no, I uh, specifically. but um, That surprises me. The stories had been out there which is the reason why Stephen I think asked the question. It was your question. It was, it? yeah. Uh, and what you would expect Lewicki to respond is, hey, I'm here forever and, you know, uh, we got to get this thing fixed and I'll stay you know, as long as it takes and then hopefully we're raising some banners and blah, blah, blah. And instead, uh, he was very clear in saying that um, he thinks, you know, he's got two of the three fixed. Okay. All he's got to do can is I fix ask the lease. What, what exactly constitutes a fix? Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. That is I the mean, question, isn't it? I, I always thought... A fix was after you win the championship trophy. You mean they haven't done that? What? <laughs> That's when you know for sure yeah, no, that I it's know. fixed. But I think the idea was, again, I'm not going to try and put words in his mouth, but I think the idea was I put the soccer team in the hands of a guy who knows how to run a soccer mm-hmm. team, and they're better, and we spent a lot of money. I got the basketball team in the hands of a guy who everybody likes, and it's they're in the playoffs, so that's it's in good hands. And now I have put the hockey team in the hands of a guy who's going to Knows the, who is going to bring a different culture and uh, a winning spirit, and, and, and now you stuff. move on. Now, now you can move on. Well, I think you move on a little before the parade. Like I don't. It doesn't sound like the parade has w- to happen the, in order to go. Wouldn't people's of expectations parades. of Tim Lewicki to be more than just handing it off to to certain individuals? Don't you want to kind of see how it well look plays this, out before you disappear? You'd think so. But there's been lots of speculation that Lewicki is not particularly happy. Um, and as we discuss with him, is he unhappy because the weather was a lot worse than he thought it was going to be? Is he unhappy because the culture or something at MLSE isn't what he expected? Is it because the board is fighting with each other? Um, Hold on for a second. I, I thought this was all the teachers' pensions' fault, and we got rid of them. We got rid of them, right? So <laughs> we got rid of them. So yeah, but should, you replaced them. The, <laughs> you replaced them with the unholy alliance. Two companies that fight tooth and nail at, at every turn in Bell and Rogers, and now you expect them to sit on a board and be and and make. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, though, in in my um, in the pecking order. But wasn't this already established when he came? Oh yeah, yeah. But it's always you know it's. it's the reality sometimes the might reality be different is, than what you think it's going to be. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm not going to go too far must down have had in terms of what some idea of the animosity between two rival companies that vote together. Though, but he, on the board, yeah, right, because that's their agreement. That's they, their agreement. They do vote together. 
And, and, so, and not to dwell on this, so but... So what but, you're saying is it, it, it might be flawed. <laughs> what? Gee, no. We never mentioned that when we first heard about uh, it. I, I always thought it would work out. And I wonder how much this Rogers purchase of NHL rights has created more dissidence. Oh, I think a little bit. Don't you? Maybe Just a maybe lot. a touch. Yeah, I think... Maybe a lot. I don't think they were... The Bell guys were really thrilled about that. You would think not. Any, no in any event... <laughs> I just look, I keep looking over at Nick, waiting for him to say something here. Keep quiet. Okay, I, 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 let me ask you my Shanahan question. Yes. So... You only have one? Well, no, I've got the first one, though. Anyway, um, so today, I guess, the Leafs are packing their bags, and Brendan Shanahan goes down and addresses, talks to them. Mm-hmm. If you're a player... Yes. So you're a player for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're coming off this epic collapse at the end of the season, and uh, you want to get your bags packed and get the heck out of town and go to your cottage mm-hmm. or whatever you're going to do. And Brennan Shanahan, the new boss, walks in, the president of this team, the guy who's going to change the culture of the Maple Leafs, and says, this isn't good enough, boys. we got to yeah. do better. There's going to be changes made. How do you react to that given, you know, because he is, was a successful player, do you go, oh, man, we got to take this seriously? Or because he's a guy who hasn't done this job at all, yeah. do you roll your eyes? No. Or because he's a league guy, do you feel a certain way about him? Well, how do you react as a player? Well, first of all, I, I think it was the right thing for Brendan Shanahan to do is address the players. Sure. Uh, they're, they're here. You've been um, officially uh, appointed uh, the president. Uh, it only makes sense that at, at least... You know, you, you don't want to have the players leave and, and not have any idea what you're about. Even if he gave them 30 seconds, half a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, it's better that he addresses them. So it just leaves whatever shred of doubt you have about the mystique of Brendan Shanahan. At least you saw it first and for, foremost. Does he have a mystique? Okay. Yes, I, I think there is. I think there is. And, you know, not to date myself, but when I first signed my professional contract, I, I think... Bobby Clark had just stepped out. And people say this is new, you know, these players stepping in with zero experience. It, it, it happened in, in the early 80s uh, or 80, 82, 83, somewhere around there with Bob Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Clark knew, had no experience as a, in management, but it was named after retiring general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers. But we all knew Bobby Clark growing up and there was a mystique about him. And I think, I think not, I mean, not, not that Brendan Shanahan has the same feel in Philadelphia, uh, in Toronto as a Philadelphia situation with Bobby Clark. Yeah, who kind of embodied the whole franchise. But there seems to be that same thing of, okay, if, if Brendan Shanahan tells me I need to try harder or work harder, at least I can look him in the eye and say, hey, the guy's been there before and he's done that. And that's no disrespect to knownness, but as a player, it, it, Brendan Shanahan addressing me today would... I, I would take something out of it a lot more than if my current general manager did it uh, at the end of the year. So there's that there, there there's that element that that by bringing in Brendan Shanahan, they've they've upped the stakes here in terms of a guy that's been there, been there recently, been hugely successful. He is the ultimate competitor. He could he could have beat you every which way with a a great goal, a fight, um, you know, a hit. I mean, this, he, he's truly lived it. That, that takes it up a notch in the organization. And you want to call it star power. You want to call it whatever you want. But um, that's, that's part of the reason why he's here. Would it have made, how much of a difference would it have been if, and I'm just hypothesizing, Wayne Gretzky had been announced as in, in the same, same yeah, kind of reaction? Yeah, probably 
a few notches up and that I'm not, you know, like I didn't want to disrespect Nonus and what he does. I don't want to disrespect Shanahan, but I mean, there's, there's Shanahan, there's a few others, but there's only one Wayne Gretzky. And I think, uh, I think it would have been a, a different feel Wayne being here than Brendan Shanahan. If you were a player for the Toronto Maple Leafs this past year and Shanahan walks into the room, are you saying, uh-oh, I'm in trouble? I think the, uh-oh, I'm in trouble probably kicked in before it was officially um Announced that do Brendan players? Shanahan, I guess they, what I'm they're, they're in trouble. They're in trouble, and they're they're all should feel a sense of uh, um, feeling insecure based on the fact that uh, you know it was a colossal collapse. Do they time feel they feel a certain level of insecurity yeah. because of the performance of the team on yeah. the ice? Yeah. You can't not be aware of that. Yeah, this makes it worse. Well, what what makes it worse? You know, in many ways, it could it can make it better. And it's like, you know, as a player, I always felt like every time there was a coaching change, it was like, okay, did that did the guy like me more who just left? <laughs> yeah, or, or do I have okay. a chance to win this guy more? Right, right now. And that's that's the feeling. And I'm sure it is with you know, Nonus and Claude Loisel and 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 Poulin. They they all have to prove themselves now to Shanahan as well, not just the players. So there's 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 the ultimate feel of okay, am, am I going to be? Do I want to be part of the solution here or do I want to just sit there and say, okay, this isn't for me and, and maybe move on? And if you want to be a part of the solution, now you've got to win him over. And I don't know how you do that. Maybe it starts with just a phone call or an interview. Uh, ultimately, it'll be to the point where you can try to do it in training camp if you're still here. Um, but there's a there's a sense that, okay, Nonis ain't the guy anymore. I got to impress. It's now Brendan Shanahan. Yeah. And and that's that that falls because of the pecking order. And one of you guys now, one of the guys, either you or Max said today, and I thought it was a good point because you know, it is kind of an awkward. It was an awkward scene there with Dave Nona standing there looking. I, you know what? I, I felt for him. Yeah, because it's for him. you know because he's on one side. Lewicki's telling you everything that's wrong. What, with yeah, what he and, did. And, and, some and, then, of it, and then Shanahan's got to play like tennis umpire, and the ball goes back over in his lap, and he's got to get that ball out of there and and talk about what how how much respect he has for him and how much they want to move forward and all of that. Yeah, the, and then you still got the the CEO ripping on him on it, it wasn't good enough. Essentially, yeah. Saying your team was crap, the culture was bad. There's, you know, and, oh. and say, hang on, whose team was that? Who's the general manager of that horrible team? It's like watching tennis yeah. with Damian Cox. Um, I mean, it was tennis. But one of you guys had, I say, I forget which one of you it was, but that you thought it would it, this could work because Nonis has been comfortable in the past being a second banana. Behind a be, behind a face that, that, of the franchise yes, dominant Mac. personality that was yeah. Mac that he's not a, a, a he's not a guy that uh, needs the limelight he doesn't need to read uh, quotes in the paper um, you know for himself um, he's he's really quite the opposite of a, a Brian Burke in terms of just putting yourself out there all the time well he's not a type A right he's not a type A so maybe this works yeah and I just countered with him that. You know, most often when guys come in like this and they have visions, they they usually have a feel on what kind of management team they they want to build, and it's usually not with the guys that are currently there. You know, don't tell me for one second Brendan Shanahan doesn't have in mind maybe two guys, maybe three guys that he thought would always be you know his type of general manager. 
And you know what? I'm not saying that Nonas can't win them over, and I'm not saying that this thing can't turn and they, they can both go on and, and do great things together. But the percentages will always tell you that guys coming in want when, their own guy. When push comes to shove. And, you know, right? I, I, yeah. I said it today. I mean, was there, like, didn't we just go through this with Brian Burke and Jay Feaster? Didn't they say all the right things about Jay Feaster? I mean, Brian yeah, and Burke two months later, said, adios. Mm-hmm. Brian Burke said he, was, he's, he had the best general manager uh, uh, day at the draft. Uh, that he's already on his way of fixing things. He was never his guy, ever. So if it was you, if you were saying, if I was going to ask you what you think the over-under is on when Dave Nonis will not be here anymore, what would you say? He gets through I'd this. say he's got time, though. D- Randy's a different dynamic. Okay, well, that's the next Randy's part of the conversation. a different dynamic, and that's something Bre- Brendan probably wouldn't feel like he needs to do sooner than later. Nonis, not so much. He, Some- can, he, can, he can go into November, December, much like, like Ryan Burke went, went with Feaster. Feaster. Yeah. And then if he thinks the time is right. But, you know... I, There's got to be a fall guy know, here, though, doesn't there, Nick? Yes. Yeah. And, well, and you, I, I don't think... I, I don't think uh, Nonis and Randy, uh, you just go into next season uh, with them both. I... I I don't. I think there's changes coming, and it, it's going to come in Randy's direction, not, not Dave's, at least for the time being. And then Brendan can assess it. And, you know, the, the thing is, is like... When, when Brendan sees this roster here, I mean, you can tweak a few things, but it's really not going to change. It's too hard to change in this salary That's cap, right? right? It's going to take time. And he's he's inherited Kessel. He's inherited Fanuff. And he's locked into those. And if if he wants to think about changing the culture with those two guys, it's not going to happen in the next month or two or at the draft. It's going to take some time here. and And that's ultimately player personnel decisions. But those will come over a lot. Uh, quite a bit of time here and 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 if you and if you change knownness right away i mean does that really change really anything that might happen on the ice in the short term probably not, probably so, not. so why change him now why mm-hmm. there's no chance in your mind that randy carlisle stays i don't think so i'd be very surprised if he stays you know i mean how many times did we hear that culture term thrown out there oh my gosh that is the new catchphrase here change the cult everybody talks about changing the culture nobody seems to know how <laughs> right or, or can't put their finger on what it is aside from right? you know winning teams always have great cultures we great know that because great leadership yeah. and we're going to change it and you know i think you know of course it comes with you know a lot of things from upstairs trickling down and that's what hopefully brendan shanahan can do but it's going to take time but i think to change at least to make people accountable for for what happened this season and and maybe even the last ten minutes of uh, last season's playoff culture change has to come a little sooner than just you know everybody returning. What would the message be? Does Brendan Shanahan have to send a message? Because fire getting rid of the coach will not wind up being a Dave Nonas decision. It'll wind up being a Brendan Shanahan decision. Whether he executes it yeah. or not, it'll yeah. it'll be perceived as that. Yeah, is that necessary for every guy when they walk into a job in in the environment that exists now? Um, is that necessary? Or conversely, if he does decide to keep Carlisle, in some ways, can't that be perceived as a stronger message that it isn't? Yeah, my analysis is it isn't their fault; it's the players' fault. Yeah. Well, regardless of whether Randy goes or not, uh, I think there's going to be some 
some personnel changes and um well that's a given yeah no and it, you know you can only it might only be two or three changes and that could come in the form of Kadri being traded um you know Jake Gardner who's still a a hot commodity around the National Hockey League maybe it comes in that that form um but you know say what you will and uh, I get that that term that uh, the inmates don't run the asylum but there's something to be said about player exit meetings and 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 listening to the core group and finding out what went wrong why it went wrong and and if there was a disconnect between the coach and the players you have to find out why let me and, ask you something then. and it, you know ultimately they do pay the price they do having you've been through these exit meetings yeah. have you ever been asked a to evaluate your coach? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. By the GM? Absolutely. And? Yeah. A communication. How is the communication between the two of you? Uh, you know, overall. Uh, Did you ever rip on a coach? No, but I try to, you know, I, I never really had, and I can honestly say this, I never really had any issues with any coaches that I had. Never had a bad relationship? No. I mean, I disagreed, yes. Make me a healthy scratch, yes. When I saw other guys worse or, you know miss curfew, whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I never, never really truly had uh, issues uh, with, with anybody. And you just kind of, they're the boss, right? They're yeah. the boss. They, they don't want you to play. They don't want you to play. I, you just, I learned a long time ago as a player, just control the things that you can control. And that's, if you're out in the ice, you can do stuff. But other than that, you're not, you're not going to go in there and, uh, and, and change anybody's mind. You can certainly tell them how you feel, but I'd be honest with the lack of communication or the lack of uh, leadership or, you know, certain breakdowns that I thought that might have happened. And if they asked me outside of my situation, I'd, I'd share that information. Absolutely. I, I got nothing to hide. I got nothing. Uh, throw the cards on the table. Nick, what's, what does the captaincy of a team mean? Like, because there's something you can, if you can change that, and that's that yeah. may that might just be window dressing, but it is something you can take that see off somebody's chest and give yeah, it to somebody I, else. Yeah, in, in the case of Fanoff, and I've I've went back and forth with with uh, Doug McLean on this. I, you're so vested in uh, Fanoff, you know, not only just the the forty nine million dollar contract, but you know, you, you told them you're our guy, you're you're our leader. We want you. It's special to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, and it captain and he's bought in all of that well i mean you're gonna rip it off of him now how do you expect this guy to play after that right so we want you around we're gonna pay you 49 million dollars but we're essentially telling you you're you suck as a leader and we're gonna rip the c off your jersey i mean that's devastating it would be don't think he could i don't think he can just Shut up and play. But when we start talking about culture change, you know, there's going to be some yeah. pain in a, you know, whatever that means. Well, then move them. Okay. You want culture you change, them? you get them out. Listen, there's, we've seen contracts move that we thought had no shot. True. Okay. And, you know, there's, there's buyouts. There's not buyouts anymore where you can get them off the books, but there's, there's, there's salary that do. can be picked up. There's things that you can do, and yeah. I think that I think there's teams out there that would welcome uh, Fanuf on their club. And if it meant the Leafs taking some salary on, if it meant putting him in a role where he wasn't coming to come in and be our captain or our or our top two defenseman, all of a sudden he could 
become a pretty important the only player on, on a team in the right circumstance. Of course, the only problem with that scenario is, and I don't disagree with you, the problem is how many teams are out there that have, that could put Phaneuf in a number three spot, let's say, on their blue line yeah. and also have cap yeah. space. Like, I could see a Phaneuf going to a place like Florida. Dale Talon is going to have a, a wackadoo to spend, yeah. and he's committed yeah. to spending it. Edmonton, I think, would find a way to, you know, Alberta guy. Mm-hmm. I think they'd... There's they'd, another they'd, one. I think they'd find some sort of Except room. Except if, if he went to Edmonton, would he, wouldn't he be... He'd be a one-two in Edmonton. Oh, he would be. He like, would be, and you know what? In Florida, he might I don't know if you'd make him captain, but... <laughs> but he, he, yeah, he'd be he'd be he'd be the go-to guy in Edmonton for sure. Um, as an aside, and not to dwell on this captaincy thing, uh, at any point during your career, did you ever play on a team in the NHL that voted for their captain? No, no. But there's a clear understanding of of who that guy should be and and how the players feel about him. So you believe the Toronto Maple Leafs, as individual players, endorsed Dion Phaneuf as their captain? You know that. <sighs> I don't know necessarily. We're talking about one of the younger teams in the NHL too. So I don't know. And at the time it was Brian Burke, right? Yep. So Brian Burke traded for him. And, you know, I, I think it was, I think it was pretty much set up even before he came in and, and first touched the the dial on the music, <laughs> you know, whether, that they had some idea that they, they wanted to make this guy the, the key figure and the captain. I, I think it was pretty much done the moment Brian Burke traded for him. Well, general thoughts on Shanahan um, and the kind of job we can expect. You know him what? To he's do. a competitive guy, and um, he's articulate. He he can work a room. You know, the key for him now is obviously surrounding himself with some people that he trusts, that he knows, that he can lean on. You know, I've said this before. In many ways, the, the Trevor Lindens and the Brendan Shannon, they got to work twice as hard now than, than even most guys because, you know, while everybody, you know, can speak of the respect that these guys get as players, you know, that respect doesn't follow right now watching guys with zero experience get these type of jobs. In fact, that there's a lot of professional jealousy out there and they've watched these guys mm-hmm. go through the fast lane. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've been standing four hours for sta- Space Mountain... At Disney World, and I see that family pass me by, and their kids got that that grin on his face that says, "Hey, how 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 you been doing the last four hours? We're just gonna go right past through and jump on this thing." I hated that family. Okay, <laughs> I hated that family. Okay, so in many ways, so Brendan Shannon's that family. That, Brendan Shannon right now is on the fast lane uh, on Space Mountain, <laughs> while the rest of us have you know been sitting the there line. watching, waiting a long, long time. <laughs> But that's why he's going to have to work twice as hard and, and, and earn the respect. And you know what? He may very well do it. He very well may do it. Last question. Um, if you're going to make a coaching change and you believe they are, would Barry Trotz be at or near the top of the list of the guys you'd go he'd after? Be at, yeah, he'd be on my top list for sure. And his availability, Yeah, does that make it more likely that the Leafs make Well, it, make you know, I'll, I'll go one step further and I'd say that... Uh, not just the Toronto Maple Leafs, but there's a few other teams may, maybe waiting for uh, a few more uh, shoes to drop. So Trotz will have a choice. Trotz will be one of them. And, you know, if if I'm Brendan Shanahan right now, I'd sit there and say, well, why don't we just see what happens after the first round of the playoffs? 
Let's just there may be more. Let's just see who else might be available. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Okay, thank you guys. You're off to Tampa, are you? I am off to Tampa. Life's a bitch when you're Nick Kiprios. <laughs> Uh, baseball talk. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays took two or three from the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, got a uh, solid outing from McGowan and from Hutchison and an, another um, effective one from Burley. Not as tidy, perhaps, as... Fine and dandy. As far as two, but just fine. Thank you very much. John Palmarosi of Fox Sports joins us. Uh, so the Blue Jays out of the gate a little better than they um, have been in the past, Mr. Morosi. They were, Bob, and I think obviously the news today about Meisner's Turris' knee injury, a little bit ominous sounding given the overall production they've had from their infield with Laurie off to the slow start and Reyes still on the disabled list. But I'm encouraged by what I've seen from the Jays this year. And I think, obviously, Reyes looks like he'll be back on Friday. The pitching has been strong. The one thing you thought this team would be able to do is score runs. You saw Rasmus come alive a little bit over the course of the weekend. So if Batista kind of maybe shakes out as a little bit of a low average uh, but still productivity type of malaise early in the season, which I think he will, uh, this team, I think, has got a chance to score a lot of runs. And if they can just keep the pitching healthy, McGowan obviously is a bit of a roll of the dice. But uh, there, I think there's a lot to be encouraged by so far for the Jays. Well, Bautista keeps walking as much as he is, JP. They'll, they'll be fine with that because he's on pace for about 160 walks right now, I think. So they might they might be okay with that. <laughs> Did you... Um, he's, he's that classic guy, Stephen, of the of the extremely low average. It's like he's the, he's the one guy in baseball that can go with like a 220 average and a 900 OPS. That That's just kind of <laughs> how he rolls. I know it's maybe not traditional, and I hear what you're saying. And so I think if that's... If he keeps on this clip with the OPS being as high as it is, uh, then I'm sure everything will be fine. I guess the other thing is right now, looking around the American League East, where all the teams are bunched right close together, but there there are there would be question marks, issues, and injuries in every one of those five teams right now. If you were a fan of any of these teams, including the defending World Series champions, you'd have you'd have stuff to be concerned about. You know, last year it was the kind of the Jays in free fall playing terrible baseball and uh, defying all the high expectations. But you know, if you, you look around, it's uh, Everybody's got something, don't they? They do. And I think the key thing, I mean, the team that I picked to win the division was very high on at the start of the season, the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, now look at what's happened to their pitching staff. Since I made that pick, and since a lot of people made that pick, obviously Matt Moore on the disabled list now, as is Alex Cobb, in addition to Jeremy Hellickson, who's been on there all season long. So do I like the Rays' pitching depth? I do. Do I like it that much they can withstand three starting rotation injuries? Maybe not. And I think, you know, the Yankees, you look at their uh, infield yesterday, they had even the lowest number of games started at their respective four spots. Okay, those respective spots around the infield was Cervelli at first base, Solarte at second, Anna at short, and Johnson at third of any Yankee infield since at least 1915, according to Stats LLC. That's like my favorite stat of the week. So there's a lot of inexperience all over the place in this division. A three-way tie for first place. I don't want to make too much of where the standings look right now, but I think the reason why you're seeing that three-way tie is there's not really a team that's been able to separate themselves quite yet, and maybe not that one dominant team. I think the division is still extremely strong, but maybe strong in more of a parity way than in one or two sensational teams type of a way. With uh, John Paul Morosi of Fox Sports. One of the issues, uh, obviously the pitching staff, the starting staff for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, has been um, uh, miles superior to um, a year ago. And there could be a whole multitude of factors for that, including the sample size is still very small. But the one significant change that took place during the offseason was the replacement of uh, J.P. Arancibia by Diona Navarro, who is not an all-star necessarily. He's not a flashy guy, but he is a competent, everyday, 
um, catcher. Do you see a relationship even this early between Navarro's arrival versus Aaron Sebia and the performance of the pitching staff? I do, Bob. And I think there's one more factor that we haven't mentioned yet, which is Pete Walker and the fact that they really wanted to bring those guys in and stretch them out more in spring training. I think that was the big surprise to see McGowan throw as deep in the game as he did over the weekend. That might have been one factor. But I absolutely think you're on the on a great point there about Navarro. I think as we've seen teams, we talk about shifting and how that's the, the sort of the new thing in baseball now. But I also think it's finding a very good defensive catcher who understands how to handle your staff. The Rays have done that for a very long time and probably gotten more out of their pitching staff. As a result, you look at the defending, certainly defending National League champs with the Cardinals and Yadier Molina. You see what David Ross meant to the Boston Red Sox last year and what they were able to accomplish as world champions. I think Navarro certainly fits in that overall context of run prevention. I think he's a guy that a lot of those guys trust. He's, he's had a, some experience in the American League East before, so I think he's been a huge factor in the way they've performed so far this season. And obviously, uh, you look at the, the AL West and JP's club there in Texas, they've had to count on him now, and they're in the middle of a very tough race. So I, I think that you're really onto something there with Navarro's contributions, and I think the Jays, in my opinion, are really catching on with what a lot of other teams around the game have tried to do with their catching defense in recent years. JP, if, if you were Alex Anthopoulos... Um which would be, you know, and a, the complicated job that he has right now. You've got Melky Cabrera off to a crazy good start, um, and you know had the tumor removed from his spine last year after last year, and looks like the guy they were getting. But he's a bargain in the second year of a second year deal. And you got Colby Rasmus, who on the weekend especially started to look like he was figuring it out of the plate, made a couple of great defensive plays in Baltimore, uh, and is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. What do you do in terms of those guys if this season, if this is a hopeful season? And understanding that Alex Anthopoulos may have payroll parameters that he has to deal with and owners that he has to convince, what do you do with those two guys as this season moves along, if anything? I think you wait. And I know there have been times when they were able to get the extension done for Edwin Encarnacion in years past. And Batista, there wasn't an extension there, and he ended up getting one in the offseason. Obviously, you can't do it with, with pending free agents, but I think you wait. I think you wait because you're not really sure, obviously, this stage of the game, uh, where they'll be at the end of July if they're definitely going to be a buyer. I think you preserve that right just in case you're going to be a seller. Because I think one thing about the draft, we talk about the importance of spending in the draft, and obviously, if you keep the players, you can offer them uh, the qualifying offering collectively the pick. The Jays haven't necessarily signed all their first round picks. So I think that's one concern where are you really going to be able to recoup that pick? The other piece is if you're able to make a trade, let's say the Jays aren't in or maybe they have some redundancies where they have some young guys come along and they can maybe flip one of their one of their bats, one of their everyday players uh, at the deadline for to address a different need. You can also hopefully maybe address the top level of your farm system which as we know was depleted somewhat by the Dickey trade by the trade with Florida. So I think that if, if I'm Alex, I wait. I, I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far, but I don't necessarily want to get too far into this and make a big-time commitment. I, I think Melky Cabrera, if he ends up having a big season like he's on pace for, he might want to hit the market and really get that big-time payday he missed because of the PED suspension. And Rasmus, you know, he's a guy that I think we've seen him go hot and cold over the years. So I, I think he's a guy you probably wait on a little bit longer as well, but it's a good problem to have. This team is performing, I think, better than expectations, and I think Alex can capitalize on that by just standing pat, waiting to see where you're at in July and then maybe either you address the everyday lineup or the roster right now, or perhaps you help your farm system a little bit at the top level, which I think we all agree is probably a little bit thin right now. Uh, let me get to a more uh, general topic here. Instant replay. Uh, I've been a longtime proponent of instant replay in baseball. We have it now. Um, but there is a sense that it isn't exactly working properly. What's the right way for instant replay to work in baseball? 
Well, if you talk to John Farrell, uh, he may have a couple <laughs> different things to say about that based on the way things unfolded over the weekend in New York there, Bob. But I think here, here's my idea right now. I think, first of all, let's. there's obviously everybody's going to be quick to criticize it now because a few calls have gone the wrong way and, and people are concerned about the delay and the process and everything else. Let's not forget the reason why we have replay now. It's because a lot of us, myself included, call for the in increased technology. We have the ability to be watching a game 2,000 miles away and know what happened and correct a call, but the umpires couldn't do that. This is a good thing for the game. We now need to refine it just a little bit. And I do think baseball could maybe borrow a little bit from hockey from the standpoint of Mr. Shanahan's former job in explaining some of the decisions that come down. I'm not saying that we need to have a video review for every single call that's reviewed and to be posted on Twitter, but I do think that we could maybe uh, just do a little bit more with, with maybe a Twitter statement. If there's somebody that's there next to the umpire in the command center in New York, a brief statement. Here's why I overturned the call. Here's why I confirmed the call. Just a little bit of a thought like that, just so we know a little bit more about the process. I think certainly in, in, in John Farrell's case, there was a lot of nebulous uh, understanding exactly of what had happened on Saturday and why that call wasn't reversed. It's my understanding that maybe the umpires back in the studio in, in New York didn't even get communicated exactly what the Red Sox wanted to be replayed and challenged. So there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding right now. I think the one way to maybe address it is to be a little bit more transparent who the replay officials are, how they're arriving at their decisions. It's a good system. I think it's going to take some tweaking, but I think it's very important for people not to maybe get get off the bandwagon so quickly because I think ultimately this is a good thing for the game. But the part of this, JP, that I don't understand is this 30-second delay where the where the manager makes the saunter out there uh, to wait until he gets some kind of high sign from the dugout because somebody in the organization has already looked at the replay to decide whether they think it should or should not be contested. Somehow that seems unseemly to me, illegal, um, not within the spirit of the game. I, is there merit to the suggestion that maybe you ought to make that decision almost instantaneously? Either I want to see a replay or I don't. It's a great point. And when I was talking to Tigers manager Brad Ausmus about this recently, he said that if he was going out to the field to discuss something with the umpire, he'd be more likely to ask him where he's going for dinner than actually argue something. Right. Because the whole point of replay is you don't have to argue anymore. So, that, And clearly that's not really what we... We don't want to have a, a 30 seconds or a minute blank space in the middle of a game while Brad can ask somebody w w which steakhouse he's going to visit tonight. That's not the point of replay. So I do agree with you that probably we do need to speed up the process. Maybe to say, hey, hey, look, the umpire is going to turn the dugout and you say, thumbs up, thumbs down, right away if we're going to replay it or not, and then you move on. The tricky part is, though, there are people in the organization that have access to the videos and they're watching it in real time, and you sort of have to allow for the fact that if, if you didn't allow that, there would be some sort of subterfuge to let people know about that. So they wanted that part to be above board. Yeah. Now, the one part about this that I think is, is encouraging a little bit is that you might be able to, on the back end, if the umpires in New York get a little bit better about being quicker as they review, by the time the manager has a little bit of a delay in the conversation about where they're going to dinner, th it would have already been reviewed and decided upon in New York. So hopefully on the back end, this maybe becomes a minute and 15 seconds as opposed to minute 45, and the whole delay seems a little a little less uh, arduous for everybody. One, uh, just before you go, JP, one last player question. What's going on with Josh Johnson in San Diego? He starts the year on the DL with something that sounds sort of innocuous, and this is going to sound familiar to people in this city, and now sounds kind of ominous. What's going on with him? 
Well, and then the Padres, Stephen, they don't know exactly when they're going to get Josh Johnson back. And that's a big-time concern for them because he was supposed to be a huge part of their rotation. They're fortunate that they have some young guys that have come out and thrown extremely well, Andrew Kashner, Tyson Ross. But obviously, any scenario, realistic scenario, that involved the Padres contending had Josh Johnson involved. But right now, talking to people out there, they don't know when he's going to be ready. So a major concern for the Padres in a division where certainly the major concern for them is the Dodgers may be running away with this thing early on. So uh, some, some certainly some worries there. Very similar, Stephen, to the worries the Jays had at this time last year. Exactly. Uh, JP, uh, lovely to hear you and lovely to see you as well. Uh, thanks very much. We'll uh, talk to you soon. <laughs> Great to see you guys. See you, John. John Palmarosi of Fox Sports will come back with more. Primetime continues on the Sportsnet radio and television networks. Prices like no other. From a club like no other. The Fan Club. Log on to sportsnet590.ca. Now, more of Bob McCowan and Primetime Sports on Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Coming up to 15 before the hour, McCowan and Brunt. Last few minutes of the uh, program for this Monday. Well, you could go a lot of different directions here. Where are you going to go? I think I'll go. You know what? I think I'll go baseball. So we talked a lot about this Leafs thing. And tomorrow we got the playoffs about to start in hockey. We can talk about that. So let's talk a little bit of Blue Jays today. Um, and it is, you know, the, the non-disastrous start. I guess that's one way of putting it. But I guess, you know, what I'm looking at here, Bob, is a team that has, you know, they're, they're just a little, they're just, they're like everybody else in the AL East. They're kind of around 500. Um, no, that ain't bad. It ain't bad, and it's also not, I guess I want to say, it's not a fluke. Like, the reasons they are there is that the pitching's been not bad. Hasn't been the offense, offense until yesterday. Until yesterday. Um, but the component, you can you can start to kind of look at the components of this team and say, you know, they could be okay. Um, I wonder, I'm just wondering, I always like to know where your optimism, pessimism meter is in terms of the ball club. I know, because I know you started the season optimistic. I'm not less optimistic. Uh, I might even be a little bit more optimistic. Um, I'm never... I never subscribe to the theory that because you have a certain expectation, therefore the team will deliver on that expectation given enough time, which is to say that I've heard a lot of people say, well, the offense will come around. Um, I'm not as confident in that. I do have concerns about the offense. Uh, I have concerns about um, a guy like Edwin Encarnacion being a four, legitimate 40-home-run guy, not having a dinger in 13 games. Well, that's happened before with him. He's had bad Aprils before, and, has had, uh, and he's had great Aprils before. Yeah. All those things are possible, mm-hmm. but that is slightly concerning. Um, Bautista hitting around 200. I know he's got lots of his on-base percentages, very high, lots of walks. I love that about him. Um uh, Rasmus looks like he's finding a groove. Laurie looks like he's finding a groove. But I also thought it was interesting during yesterday's game, Zani was talking, did one of those Zon 101 things, and he, he addressed a situation that I've been talking about on this show, and that is um, these guys have technical flaws in their swings that need to be addressed long term. And he acknowledged that. And, you know, it coming from me as opposed to coming from Zahn are two entirely different things to a lot of people. And, and um, I think both Rasmus and Laurie need to work on their mechanics in order to be productive over a long term. Having said all that, and 
I mean, there's nothing about this team right now that I don't like. I mean, there's, um, you know, he had some good performances, some bad performances on the mound. Uh, Morrow had one that wasn't very good, one that was pretty damn good. Yep. Um, Burley's had three that have been pretty good. Uh, Hutchison's had a couple of good ones, one not so good one. Uh, McGowan's had one good one, one where he was tipping his pitches. Maybe that was the reason. And only Dickey has had two subpar yeah. performances. I'm more concerned about him than anybody on the team right now, honestly. And again, I, it's part of it's because I don't, we've talked about this. I'm not sure what to look for in a knuckleballer. Well, nobody is. But I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's because it's kind of not really science. It's something else. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Again, um, you watch him when the knuckleball's working and you think he's got it. And then the next time out, it isn't working and he's lost it. You can't. You know, we can look at a guy throwing a fastball, and if his fastball is 91 and it's supposed to be 94, we're going, aha, maybe there's something wrong there mechanically. Or he's getting his pitches up, or he's, do- he's doing something that's relatable. With Dickey, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you, and I think with everybody else. There's no way to know. I mean, the guy could still win 17 or 18 games, and you not really have a good sense of whether he had a great year or not. It's amazing how the, the perspective shifts, though, Bob, because, you know, last April... I think for the, you know, and maybe for the first time, you know, watching good teams and bad teams, but never been more aware of a team that didn't do the stuff you just take for granted. Like, re- you know, turning a double play that's a routine double play, making what the plays, a difference this year, throwing though. to the right base, all that stuff. And this year now, you're, you're kind of, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting back and saying, boy, yeah, Rasmus ran down that fly ball in center field. That one would have dropped last year. Or, look, they turned a double play. Or Diaz putting down the squeeze bunt on a ball over his head. That does, you know, that when something horrible happens on that one last year. Little things. I mean, and again, they've saved all kinds of runs for their pitching staff. And you're supposed to do that. The expectation is you do save runs, but they have done it consistently and they weren't doing it at all last year. Uh, Melky Cabrera, Abe, like he's made two or three outstanding like dive catches. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have got within 10 yards of any of those balls last year. I mean, this guy not only looks healed, he looks like he's 22 years old again. Um, so, and Navarro behind the plate. Um, you know, if he hits 200, if he hits what Aaron Sibia hit last year, I'm okay with it. Because he's handling this pitching staff. And this pitching staff, if they're not already comfortable with him, they're going to get comfortable with him. Or they're getting comfortable with him. And confident in what he's, what the kind of game he's calling... And that if they, you know, if there's, a, if he, if you, he wants one down and away, a slider down and away, and you throw an eighty foot or a a fifty five foot slider instead of a sixty foot slider, he's going to get his body in front of it. Um, that level of confidence, I think, can build. The only reason this team's record isn't five games over five hundred is because the offense has been pretty crappy, except yeah. for Sunday. And a couple of bads, really, you know, a couple of horrible starts. But but even those, you're not going to win them all. You're not going to win them all. That's right. Sometimes you've got to score 10 runs to win a game. That's right. Uh, but there have been games that they lost for no other reason other than the offense couldn't produce. The pitching was plenty good enough for even an average offensive day. Like they lost a 2-1 ball game. They've lost they lost 2-1 the other day in, uh, in Baltimore. 12. Yeah, in the- 12. A little bit of offense, and they win that game. So, um, all encouraging so far. They didn't fall off a cliff. That's that's better than last year. So far, no cliff in sight. So far, no cliff in sight. Uh, Our thanks to Nick Kiprios and John Paul Morosi for joining us uh, this hour on the program.
Uh, for Brent McCowan, have a nice evening. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same station, right here on the Sportsnet Radio and Television Networks.